0: Good morning. I asked Brent to give me a very short introduction, but I was changing my mind. I was hoping to go longer to recover uh, from that worship. Uh, thank you, worshiping. That uh, was the minister to me this morning. God bless you for that. Just want you to know that, uh, as Brent said, uh, even though I've never spoken here on Sunday morning, been here several times, uh, speaking at conferences, last April's Religious Liberty Conference and so on. So feel right at home here. I want you to know that our staff uh, has been praying for Bill and been praying for you. We want you to know that uh, as co-laborers uh, with him, uh, there's few pastors in this state that, that resonate and understand uh, and execute uh, the, the understanding of the public square as it pertains to the gospel. So we thank Bill and, of course, Dick Bradstreet, one of our board members, of course, is, is here as well. So this church certainly is integrated with us and to be here on Life Sunday with First Choice, Um, just we're so thankful uh, for that ministry, obviously, as we work together uh, in the vineyard for the same reasons, uh, with the same motivations uh, to to glorify the Lord uh, in talking about the truth of the sanctity of life. It's just an absolute honor to be here this morning. So I just want to give you a little bit of background as we are here. I let pastors know, especially that aren't familiar when we Talk about coming into the pulpit. Sunday morning is not uh, a time for a commercial for ministry. Uh, Our booth is in the back there. um, And as Brett said, we're not going to fight. Go to all the booths and our displays and so on. And, And we'd be more than happy... Uh, to talk, especially a few political junkies, talk about bills and specific issues that are going on right now, either on the national level and, you know, talk about Planned Parenthood and all those things. And sometimes at a church, I, I speak at a Sunday school uh, before I do that. And that's where I really kind of get at nuts and bolts and specific things. And unless a pastor asks me to do that, one, and especially the first time that I'm on a Sunday morning at a service, uh, I think it's very important the Christian Civic League's been around you know since eighteen ninety seven and if you look at the display back there, it says that our mission is to bring a biblical perspective to public policy that 's what we do and then we have an execution statement you know how we do that by uh, in getting people to engage civically, uh, especially Christians uh, to elect officials that reflect and will defend our values and then also that we would then enact laws that also reflect God's sense of justice and righteousness. That's the execution. That's how we execute that mission. And just recently, the board uh, also uh, started a, a vision statement and embraced a vision statement that says, you know, what is our vision? If we're able to do that, what's it going to look like? And it's that Maine would be a state where God is honored, where families thrive, where religious liberty flourishes, and life is cherished. I think that's a victory. You know, that's that's what we are striving for. I know that's what you're striving for. And I want to make sure that you understand that when we open up the Bible in regard to executing, glorifying God and being part of his mission, 501c3s and 501c4s, like the Christian civic league, they're not there. You're not going to find them in Acts. You're not going to find them in Ephesians. You're not going to find them in Isaiah. They're not there. That mission is to be executed by the church. You. So we exist to help you, hopefully to inform you, maybe to inspire you, to be able to execute that mission to the glory of God. That's why we're here. But I would like to give you just a little background on how I became the director of the Christian Civic League and how it pertains specifically to how and why we should engage. Now, I was an educator Uh, for 18 years. I was in exile for 11 years down in Massachusetts, right out of college, and then had the privilege of coming back home. I grew up in a little town called Brownville Junction, Maine, and uh, ended up my last two years of high school at Bangor Christian. And so I actually came back to Bangor Christian in 1992 to become the headmaster there from 92 to 2000. In that time, I certainly found out as an educator, and I'm sure if you're an educator, a or parent, or employer, you would agree with me that you can talk about what you should do, and you can talk about how you should actually get it done, but unless somebody really understands the why, then you are you, you're missing a dimension of the educational process. The why, the motivation. Now, there may be different whys and there may be like higher, you know, reasons or especially with Christianity, maybe the highest reason and but other peripheral reasons aren't necessarily bad and so on. But I want you to know that as I kind of discuss a little bit like how I got into this process, I believe it will help us all understand getting beyond the what and the how, but understanding the why, because it's the why that's going to get us through the tough times and through the challenges, not the what and not the how. Now, um, in '99, after I'd been the director uh, of the school for like seven years there in Bangor Christian, many of you may know that Bangor Baptist Church, the sponsor of that school, went through uh, quite a tremendous change. In '99, Dr. Jerry Mc, and of course Bill and Jerry, good friends, um, Jerry decided to move Bangor Baptist from a traditional to a more contemporary model. And I won't go through all the details; it's quite a story, but. Anyway, I was helping the church with the music at that time, and Jerry said, Carol, do you think we can make this transition? I was just doing it part-time, just helping out. And I said, yeah, until you, you know, figure out someone that really knows what they're doing, I'll, I'll help you. And Jerry actually said, you need to call Bill Craig and you know, get some tips on how we can make this transition. And so Bill and I you know, started talking about music and methodology and things like that back in those days. To make a long story short, Bangor Baptist, which is now Crosspoint, if you haven't heard uh, went through a tremendous change in a very short period of time with God, clearly God's anointing on that ministry. Well, through that process for a year, every Wednesday night, I would get my drama team, my music team, my my uh, builder, set builders and everything on a Wednesday night as we slowly went through this transition, um, talking about what is worship? What is worship? Not just musicality, but what really is worship? So we went through a long study. And again, to make a really long story short, I ended up, as I was preparing this passage, uh, having had the um, Dr. Lyman Phillips, the head of Grace Evangelical uh, School and Seminary, as part of my team. And he came to me and said, Carol, I'd like you to develop this on the seminary level. Would you teach a seminary level on holistic worship? And I said, sure, uh, I'd love to do that. So I prepared that. And in preparation for that, the Lord unusually and unexpectedly had me spending a lot of time in the Old Testament and on the New Testament. I thought I'd be in Ephesians and Corinthians, and and I was there. But again and again, I landed in some passages. And I'd ask you to... We're going to look at one of those passages this morning. And take your Bibles, if you would. Turn to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. Now, this is a passage where... God is speaking to us. Very, very important that we understand. He's speaking to the nation of Israel. Okay? He's speaking to the nation of Israel through his prophet Isaiah. By the way, Brett, I'm going to have you be ready just in case something's going on with my phone. It's blinking in and out. I think I'm going to get through this passage, but just in case someone might want to have a, a Bible ready for me. But Isaiah chapter 1, verse 13. Isaiah, God speaking through Isaiah to the nation of Israel. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. I'm reading in the NIV. Your incense is detestable to me. New moon, Sabbaths, convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies, your new moon feasts, your appointed festivals, I, what? Hate, loathe. I mean, it's a pretty strong language, depending on what uh, version you're using there. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening, your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. And then here is a passage that you hear in some form again over and over from Isaiah all the way through Malachi, as we used to say. Malachi, he says, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. And then verse 17, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, and plead the case of the widow. Now, when I would read those passages there in Hosea, in Malachi, in Micah, again, Micah 6, 8, it's one we hear so many, what if it required thee but to do justly, love, mercy, and walk humbly with the God? We see these verses over and over and over again. God is saying to the nation of Israel, we have a problem. And then when he would say, I have ought with thee in some different form, even though there's a lot of commonality in this narrative in several different books of the Bible, in the major and the minor prophets, eventually God comes up, and here is the solution. Love mercy, do justly, and walk humbly with thy God. Now, sidebar, just for a second, because you hear these verses oftentimes misused and misappropriated. So let's just take a minute. To make sure there's no confusion about this. To whom did we say God is speaking? Isaiah, to the nation of Israel, God's people in the covenant. So first of all, you will sometimes hear liberal theologians. I remember hearing someone on MPBN once using this verse. And basically saying, this is how you please God. This is how you get in a right relationship with God. Use whatever term you want. But if you want to please God, if you want to be reconciled to God, then all you have to do is do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Is that the truth? It is not the truth. God wasn't saying, this is how you get into the covenant. He's already speaking to somebody that's in the covenant. So let's remove that. Okay? Okay. That is not what is going on here. God is not telling us how to get in the covenant. God is telling us this is what the covenant is supposed to look like. And I went to my pastors. I saw these passages over and over and over again. And I'd say, Jerry, you know, in the conservative evangelical movement, you know, we talk about heaven and hell. Obviously, the exclusivity of Christ. Rightly so. But in these passages... I believe we've missed the boat. And again, I was coming from a very conservative background. I went to a very liberal college called Pensacola Christian College. And back in the day, if you did a mission strip and you did, and did medical or if you were feeding people or if you had a food pantry or a clothes closet, those were the liberal churches that did that. Just give them the gospel. God bless them and hit them over the head with the Bible. And, and that's it. That's all they need. That's all they need. That is not true. And God was saying, listen to the nation of Israel. I thought, I, I had misunderstanding of what, what the problem was. Not only with the solution that some people confused, but I had a, a misunderstanding of what the problem was. Again, I've got to be honest with you. I said I grew up in a little town of Bravo Junction. I grew up in the Piscataquis County. It was a heavily Catholic area. And I was raised as a little Protestant, you know, Baptist kid. So, when I saw oblations and incense and assemblies and things like that, I thought, here we go again, nation of israel what what's their history? They had pagan influences coming in to their worship, and God would judge them and so on and it wasn't a ridiculous extrapolation on my part because nation was known that Israel was known for that, but you realize when you look at those things that God says about is that the same thing with prayer? Anything Now, that worship that was described in Isaiah 1 is not our worship paradigm right now. But every single one of those things that God told Israel that he hated or that were loathsome or to stop doing, guess who told him to do it? God did. So imagine, I think sometimes we're a little tough on the nation of Israel. I really think we are. Imagine how confusing it is when God says, do this, 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 and this, and this. And you do this, this, and this, and this. And then he says, I loathe it. I hate it. Stop it. As a matter of fact, part of that narrative comes through in the book of Malachi. And Micah, when God says, you know, we're, stop doing it, you know, and then, and then they come back saying, wait a minute, where in have we robbed thee? We've paid our tithe. We're doing the offering. We're checking off all the boxes. What's the problem? And then we look at the problem. The problem is, For some reason, they were checking off all the boxes, but they weren't taking care of the widows. They weren't taking care of the orphans. They weren't taking in the stranger among them. And we see this in the book of Jeremiah, and then it's reflected in the ministry of Jesus when he said to the nation of Israel, who were in the covenant, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. They were doing the right things. Probably better than we do. But their motivation was wrong. Their motivation was wrong. And just very quickly, the nation of Israel, we know, was chosen by God. God's chosen people. Not because they're the smartest. Not because of anything else. But God chose them to prove and to manifest His plan of redemption. Through the line of Israel so that the Messiah and the only hope that we sang about today, it could come into this world. That's why they existed. And when Israel was doing it right, with the right reason, when they were right with God with their worship, not just going through the motions. Supernatural things happened. Supernatural military victories that couldn't be described or explained in any other way. The way that they took care of themselves and loved each other and loved those that were among them unconditionally. Israel didn't necessarily benefit from this. You know who did? The Jebusites and the Ammonites and the Ninevites. They benefited because they got to see that which is not visible became visible because they glorified God. They magnified God through their worship, through their life of submission, by doing it right for the right reason. That's God's plan. So I would bet that with a little bit of time here you're wondering, Carol, what does this have to do about abortion? What does this have to do with the sanctity of life? I'm glad you asked. When we moved here in nineteen ninety two, by the way, in two thousand three, two thousand four, when Dr. Mick and I would get together and have these discussions, as a very conservative Orthodox, you know, ministry, he'd say to me, Carol, you know, I think God's planning you planning something for you beyond the walls of the church. And I think Jerry was just trying to get rid of him. But in all seriousness, God was planning something as we would talk about that word phrase that we don't like to talk about. Really, it's a biblical term, is what is social justice? What is social justice? I'm not talking about the way the world uses it. But what is social justice? That's the platform that's talking about taking care of the widows, taking care of the orphans, taking care of the stranger among you. Why? Why why should we do that? Are we trying to just take care of all the ills of the world in, in this case? Are you pro-life? Is your highest motivation the beginning and end to save babies? And I contend that is not why I'm pro-life. I would say saving babies is a wonderful, wonderful benefit of doing it right. And clearly it reflects the heart of God because of the defenseless and so on. But I contend you this morning, in the next five minutes, that is not the highest and the most noble reason for us to be pro-life. It is not, and when I say that at pro life rallies, they kind of rankle things a little bit every once in a while because not everybody necessarily would agree with what I'm about to say that is in this movement. Now, let's consider the fact. Go back to motivations. When we moved here in '92, we didn't have Christian radio down in Massachusetts back in those days. So when I moved to Bangor, we got WHCF and got to hear Doctor Dobson and all that stuff. And I remember once he said, "You can do the." Wrong thing for the wrong reason, the wrong thing for the right reason, the right thing for the wrong reason, and the right thing for the right reason. Now at eight, nine twenty five, that's pretty good saying that. I usually don't even get it right in the evening. But basically what he's saying, doing the wrong thing for the wrong reason is never gonna be very controversial. If I break into your house to steal because I'm an opiate addict, that's doing the wrong thing right that, that's not gonna end well. Okay? Typically that's not never is that gonna end well. What about doing the wrong thing for the right reason? Kind of the unjustify the means. We're a little bit more sympathetic about the, the person like Jean Valjean in Les Miserables that breaks into the bakery to grab, you know, the food for his uh, sister's children, you know. But it still didn't end real well for Jean Valjean. He broke the law. And we can argue about the law and everything like that, but he broke the law. And for Christians, we should never try to do the unjustified, the mean thing because it's a lack of faith in God when we do that. God doesn't want us to do the right thing to accomplish some, some good thing. That, that's not right either, and we don't have to spend a lot of time on that. But what about doing the right thing for the wrong reasons, or maybe not even the best and highest noble reasons? That's where this comes in. Because I think for too many times, someone like me gets in front of you and says, you should vote, you should be pro-life, and you should do something about it, and you should you know, defend your religious liberties, and you should defend marriage, and all those things, and be, write a letter to your congressman, and send an email to your state representative, and so on. And those are all right and good things to do, But many times I think we have failed and we frankly confuse the world and some of the judgment against us is accurate and well-deserved when it looks like we're doing nothing but political activism. Our motivations, I don't believe, are always on the highest and the purest and most frankly most biblical perspective. Now when Jesus came to this world, we know that in the last week of his life, he stood before Pilate before he was crucified, and had that narrative with Pilate, are you a king, thou sayest the king, and all that stuff. And Jesus said to Pilate, in John 18, verse 37, he said, For this reason I came into this world, for this cause was I born, to bear witness of the truth. The truth of the Father, that's right. To bear witness of the truth of the Father. Jesus' mission was to bear witness of the truth. That's our mission. And so in a world, and we could take a lot of things, and, and, but we're talking about the sanctity of life today. The truth about the sanctity of life is not a human construct. It is a divine absolute truth that is revealed to us in god's word from genesis 1 all the way to revelation 21 that god is the creator that we are not here by accident that we are here and that every human being that is brought into this world at conception has the image of god upon him or her and therefore regardless of the color of their skin or their iq or their bank account, or their nationality, or their race, or the number of chromosomes they have, any category that you want to throw out there, human beings, when they determine what value is, it never ends well historically. But when we follow God's truth, then there are there's great benefit. But even more importantly, in a world that does, and is convinced that we're here by accident, and in a rebellious state, When we speak the truth into that society, that we are not here by accident, that the Bible says that God created us, and, by the way, has since then been pursuing us with his plan of redemption, we speak the truth, we create the conflict that Jesus talked about, that the Prince of Peace said, that I will bring enmity into this world with the truth, and we go against the lies of Satan, We create the conflict. The Holy Spirit has the opportunity to prompt that person, especially if other Christians in that person's life are there and being responsive. And we have people have the opportunity as they hear that truth to be drawn to the source of that truth. That is our highest motivation. And I say to you this morning, I don't think I have to convince anybody that the sanctity of life has nothing to do about us being more evolved. Or because we can do better tricks than squirrels can. Even though they're pretty amazing too. It's because God said so. It's the truth for us. And we make the case of that truth. Now there are societal implications that we're excited about. For our grandchildren and so on. About safety and things like that. That are great benefits. But that can't be our motivation anymore. Than our motivation when we're talking about marriage or homosexual. Anything like that is our disgust. Or with somebody else's sin. We might have recognized what's right and what's wrong. And we might even be made clear judgment. But that can never be our motivation. Our motivation has to be what Paul says to young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 when he's preparing as a bishop. Paul says to Timothy, the man of God or the servant of God deals with those that oppose him. Now, the fundamental Baptist version of this, and I are one, so I can say this, leaves this next word out. Gently. What does he do? He deals with those that oppose him. How does he do it? Gently. Why? This is the part we leave out. That you might pray that God would grant them the gift of repentance and that they may escape the snare. And no longer do the will of their master. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can tell you, I live on a beautiful home in a lake up in Maine, up in up in Glenburn, Maine, on Pushaw. I don't spend as much time. I need to even drive down here an hour this morning so that America will be better behaved. That is not what motivates me. What motivates me? And being willing to be called names and misunderstood and some of which we have to take blame for. But is the gospel of Jesus Christ the same thing that made Paul tick? The same thing that made Timothy tick? The same thing that makes Jesus tick? That has to be our motivation. Second Timothy. I challenge you to look at it. it. For us, Christianity is not easy, but it is simple. It all comes down to just what we said in Isaiah 1. Whatsoever we eat, whatsoever we drink, we do all. To the glory of God. To manifest him. To magnify him. To make him visible. So they have the concentration and then the hope of repentance. And escape the very same snare that we were in. I ask you to look at some of those passages yourself. Be Bereans. And I, I bet this congregation. Look at look at Isaiah 1. Look, look in even when Jesus was talking there in John 18. And take a look in that passage of Ephesians, it's clearly talking about opposing the unsaved. The verses before that are talking about relationships with the brother, but clearly that verse is talking about that. I would say, um, we appreciate your prayers and your support at the Christian Civic League. Um, I am, like I said, for all you junkies that want to talk about what's going on, you know, with some bill numbers and things like that, I obviously enjoy giving that information out to you. Please stop by our booth. Uh, sign up for our email so you can stay personally uh, involved and know what the opportunities are to do some of the things that we even talked about here today. But again, I just want you to know how thankful we are for this ministry, uh, the work that it does, the leadership it provides in this state, the great friend that they are to us. So uh, God bless you and thank you so much. And let's be defenders of life with eternity in mind. Thank you.